now we are on for a very special session and one of my favorite uh, race, Sebring. Good morning, John. Welcome back. Oh, I think you're on mute. So, okay, excellent. Thank you very much. So, Marshall, it's on to you. What should we talk about? 12 hours of Sebring. Looking forward to how ragged it's going to be. That's one of the things that I love most about this race every year. Of all the IMSA events we go to, many of them are excellent. Not all of them feature vehicular devastation and physical exhaustion. And this is something that Sebring brings more than I would say almost any other race. Maybe the visit to Detroit, the streets of Detroit, is where we see a lot of cars banged up, a lot of people uh, not just hitting walls, but hitting each other, running deep into brake zones. Uh, there's some mayhem there, but Sebring packing that into 12 hours, honestly, if you like drama, if you don't like knowing who's probably going to win before the race starts, that is Sebring each year. All right, let's think about non-traditional Sebring topics. So I believe it was the start of the race in 2009. I happened to not be in turn one, as most photographers do, head down to turn one, get that long shot of the cars coming at you and, you know, getting ready for that. You get the field that fans out, you get that nice photograph you tend to see. I said, I'm going to do something different this year. I'm going to go around the back of the circuit to turn 16 before they head on to the long Ullman straight down the back straight and get a shot there. Why? I don't know. It ended up being a very bad choice. The photo stuff that I brought back wasn't great. But what I do remember, and the reason I'm mentioning this, is while I was in Sebring in the middle of March doing reporting, being a photographer, doing some videos and whatnot, deciding to go a little rogue and break from what everyone else does and go out to turn 16 and get some start shots there. Don't ever do that. Got a phone call. After the field had gone by, I think first or second time, John Doonan's on the phone. Look at that. He's I on am. A Can you hear me? Phone. Can you see Are me? Are you really talking to us through a, like an old handheld telephone? Yeah. I, I actually had to do the old dial. Oh uh, it's we're about to do the uh, new new phone system here at Sebring, so we're just moving to the push button from the dial. At least you're not outside at a payphone, so uh, that that's certainly good. Well, let me finish my quick little story there uh, while we're waiting for you. So while I'm out in turn 16, I get a call, and it's from my good friend Gary Sheehan, who driven for me many times. We were doing a first where I wasn't at the racetrack where my own car was competing. Gary was running it at a, I think, an SCCA event at Sears Point Sonoma Raceway. And he was calling to tell me that he'd put the car on pole. So this is a Saturday. Sebring starts on Saturdays. He'd put the car on pole. So that's great. But going into the S's, roughly the highest speed portion of the track, someone in something had blown their engine uh, five seconds before he arrived left all the oil there so at 120 or 30 miles an hour he hit one barrier ricocheted to another and then actually kind of climbed up the hill and the car was almost completely totaled um so that's the most fun phone call i've ever gotten while at sebring shooting start shots from turn 16 for no reason whatsoever don't ever do that again but getting a call being at a motor race trying to do my job 
and having my driver call and say, congratulations, Ron Pohl, and your car is almost completely destroyed. I don't remember much after the, that took place, but uh, that was the most fun phone call I got, John. But it certainly wasn't from a handheld phone like you have. All right, now that we got you, now that we get to speak with the man who is the president of IMSA, who comes to that role, having been a program manager for many, many years, looking after Mazda Motorsports. Let's just start there, John. I know we have Sebring here. I know that Mazda, obviously, success at Sebring, finally, biggest win of its IMSA uh, heritage. What was it like coming out of the end of year Sebring 12 hours that we had last year, you being president, trying to be impartial, but also I'm guessing doing some little private happy dances that the program you brought to life achieved its biggest, biggest success there. Well, it was uh, a quiet moment um, out behind victory lane, perhaps by myself to make sure that uh, I had that, that celebration of a moment of, of uh, reward, so to speak, that I wanted so badly to see Mazda achieve. And finally, they uh, were able to put all the pieces together uh, last fall. And um, a lot of folks from Japan uh, sent text messages immediately after the race, which was really rewarding and fulfilling. Uh, made so many good friends there, but was really happy for the brand, really happy for uh, all the drivers that had been so much a part of uh, the program development and even some of our, our ladder programs. And then, of course, uh, my good buddies at Multimatic, uh, who really helped transform that program. And to see it all come together was amazing. And I, for years, wanted the, the Mazda name up on the front straightaway at Sebring. And Saturday is part of pre-race ceremonies. That's going to happen. we got a new little tradition of, of banner raising for uh, all the manufacturers that have won this race over the last 68 times. Nice. So that's adding tradition to Sebring. That doesn't happen that often. So is that yeah. you on a really, really tall ladder having someone else <laughs> crooked? How are we doing this? I think we got a little Velcro. I think we got a little black, uh, black sheet, uh, but I um, just really excited for, you know, all the, the names you see up there. I mean, Porsche, Audi, uh, you know, ultimately Nissan, Toyota got the job done. But even back to that first uh, little uh, Fraser Nash that, that won the very first race, you see, you know, Bentley, all the names up there. Um, it's, it's such a key part of uh, endurance racing history. So I think adding that little tradition at the beginning uh, allows us to celebrate uh, all the achievements here at such a historic place. Looks like you got some reams of uh, copier paper behind you and all kinds of, <laughs> man, you got office supplies. Now we're going to have to check the inventory before we're done here. So as I normally do, I uh, love getting racing fans involved, whether it's uh, IMSA or whatever else. Hey, let's connect you with whether it's a driver or team owner, in this case, the president of IMSA. So I put out a call because I know you're tired of answering my stupid questions over the last 15 years. <laughs> said, hey, IMSA fans, you got the man who's in charge. Let's hear what you got to say. So why don't we do that? Why don't we jump into some uh, fan on which I know when I asked you if you wanted to do this last night, you were like, absolutely, as long as it's not from you. So we're going to go with our pal John Ojnar, who says, John, great name, first name, by the way. So yeah, from one John to another, he's rather happy. 
says, when do we expect to see the back and forth between the ACO and the WEC and IMSA in terms of the upcoming LMDH and the brand new hypercars that are debuting there in the ACO and WEC this year? Curious when we might see those cars playing back and forth. We know that the LMDH cars, when they arrive in 23, are allowed to go race at Le Mans WC right away. Maybe more of a question about when do you think their hypercars might be allowed in IMSA? Uh, and is also curious about how the conversations between the organizations are going in terms of balancing the vehicles. Well, first of all, a great easy. name to John as well. Yeah, and, easy. Uh, happy St. Patrick's Day. Hopefully he's a fellow Irishman. Yeah. Um, but we and all of our colleagues and partners at the ACO are very excited about the convergence we announced last January. Uh, the big question is, will Hypercar and, and LMDH race together? The ACO announced back in September that they make uh, plans to do so uh, right away at, in, in the top category. Um, we're certainly open to that concept. Um, because Hypercar was written to a completely different set of regulations um, in ACO's partnership with the FIA, and LMDH was written in conjunction with IMSA and, and the ACO, um, there's some, some work to be done. Uh, we're open to it. We certainly want to see those cars run. We want to gather data. We want to get them into uh, the wind tunnel here at Wind Shear. We want to get them to the Concord Dyno um, and be able to get some really solid on-track data off the cars to make sure that the manufacturers that have um, announced that they're going to invest in LMDH are already working on it, and those that have uh, announced the hypercar program are able to uh, come to a level playing field. The technical working groups of chassis constructors, manufacturers, and, and the technical staffs at the ACO, uh, led by Terry Bouvet, and then the IMSA side, led by Simon Hodgson and Matt, are literally on daily calls uh, looking at things like how does a four-wheel drive uh, platform compete with a two-wheel drive platform and changing weather conditions? How does a single-source hybrid, which we announced from LMDH, go uh, in unison with a proprietary hybrid system and the deployments associated with, with all those functions. So a lot of work to be done yet, but I think for our fans, there's no question that having a um, single set of, of prototypes competing head-to-head -head is the ultimate goal. And I know, Marshall, you and I have talked about this for many years, what, uh, what both of us uh, – uh, have grown up around back in the, the GTP days and, and uh, World World Sports Car Championship days. Would you foresee, John, that being an immediate thing? I know in recent discussions, not last week or month, but later last year when we visited on this topic, asked, do you think we're going to see hypercars welcomed right away the moment LMDH's debut here in EMSA? at least the feeling then was, don't know if it's going to be an immediate thing. We might want to spend a year benchmarking, as you mentioned, before we actually let the two very different types of prototypes compete together uh, for an overall win at Daytona or Sebring or otherwise. Has that viewpoint changed at all? No, I think you're accurate, Marshall. I think we need to spend as much time as possible gauging uh, the performance levels. You know, the one positive I see for sure and 
fingers crossed that we can have our partners and friends of, of the WEC back here at Sebring for Super Sebring next March. What what better way to see the the cars perform than on a track that we certainly know uh, at IMSA extremely well, um, gather data um, and understand how those those platforms perform uh, in comparison to what we have right now with LMDA or uh, rather DPI and and or LMP2. So you can certainly get some benchmarks and then um, hopefully prepare for. Um, later in 23 or maybe in 24, but it's going to take some time yet. And the technical teams are working feverishly to, uh, to try to make it all come together. Come back to LMDH in a moment. Wanted to move to another big topic of the future for IMSA, maybe a bit of a two-parter announced that the beloved GT Lamar class from the finest factory GT racing we've ever seen in North America Car counts have been coming down a little bit. That class is going to be phased out at the end of 21. We're going to have a new class, GTD Pro, coming in where the factories are meant to just migrate there. Daniel Summersgill asks, has there been any interest from manufacturers or teams that aren't currently in GTLM to consider moving to GTD Pro next year? Question of, you've announced it, what kind of uh, uptake have you heard? And if you can give us all the secrets of who's called and said they're going to be entering GTD Pro, <laughs> greatly appreciate it. <laughs> well, unfortunately, in terms of announcements, uh, the OEMs are uh, the folks that, that uh, have that news to share. I think leading up to what we announced in January, um, we did a lot of, of homework and you know, we have a saying in Daytona, the market will speak. And so in preparation for that announcement, we spent a lot of time communicating with the nine. Um, and then if you include another 10 um, GTD and GTLM manufacturers um, and got their, their feedback on heading this direction. And it was unanimous. It was the right thing from their perspectives. Uh, to try to converge and, and converge around GT3 global specifications, which is what we announced. Now uh, the devil's in the details. Uh, the devil's in the details when it comes to uh, how our tire partner Michelin um, utilizes their technology to bring uh, the tires that will uh, cause those categories to be able to compete um, on a level playing field. There's uh, the GT3 specs themselves and making sure that uh, – we don't outsmart ourselves relative to performance levels. There's driver rankings between the two categories. But um, so far, uh, since the announcement, uh, been several manufacturer calls, several um, conversations with Michelin. We have a few meetings here at the track this weekend uh, to try to hone in on what it's going to look like because, um, you know, sooner rather than later, we're going to need to be out uh, doing some testing and making sure that we've got uh, the balance is correct. But so far, um, you know, without a single doubt, uh, all of the manufacturers are very excited about it. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the, the beloved Corvettes, um, I, I pray and, and hope, uh, will continue to be a, a pillar of uh, IMSA and uh, GT racing because uh, that uh, that corvette nation that's uh parked out at uh, turn 17 gathering already i know uh, would want to see that continue 
BMW has a beautiful new GT3 car coming for next year as well that would fit nicely. And there's plenty of scenarios I can think of where there should be quality uptake there. The second part to this question, John, is we know where we're going in 2022 with GTD Pro coming up to a bit of a international timeline here for GT3, some possible revisions for that class in general. We know that across the pond, friends at the ACO and WC sticking with their GTLM slash GTE regulations for the near future. Tell me about IMSA going in the direction here, as you mentioned, that fits the market. The market has spoken and said, we're going to stay pro factory, but GT3 regulations now. Tell me about how you do this and how you either interact or consult with your friends in France who are going to stick with the current formula, maybe see how just like prototypes, is there a way there could be some form of alignment on where the two organizations or three organizations head in the future? I sure hope so. And in relative to that being the end game, uh, Pierre Fionn will be joining us this weekend. Frederic Lequeen, the new head of the WEC, will be with us. Um, we have ongoing dialogue and would be certainly, I think, our hope and, and the hope of all the fans around the world to see uh, the best of the best gathering at Daytona, here at Sebring, at Le Mans, in the same platform. Um, very sensitive to the homologation periods that are already in place. So um, it really, again, depends on, in, on, on how the customers vote, uh, especially in GTDM, which has got a very uh, solid field uh, as, as the Le Mans entry list was, was already unveiled. So I want to be careful uh, to not uh, go too fast relative to the investment that people already have in equipment. Uh, the timing was right for us. Uh, long before I arrived uh, at IMSA, there had been discussions maybe for the last year or 18 months about this exact topic. Uh, we felt the timing was right. Uh, we made that announcement in, in, uh, in full cooperation with the ACO. They knew it was coming, and I think um, hopefully we're, we're the leaders of what can be a global convergence in GT as well in the coming uh, short term. Got about 10 minutes left, John, so I'll pick and choose one or two more questions. Uh, let's see. IMSA fan here, Ryan Terpstra from Michigan, curious about the Detroit weekend, wondering that since Le Mans has been pushed back, normally the GT Le Mans class does not compete at the Detroit street race due to timing of it being right next to Le Mans. He's wondering with Le Mans being pushed back to August, whether GTLM could be added in and maybe on the general topic of calendar changes, I know there's been some speculation about Detroit, folks asking about, are we gonna go to Canada? Any thoughts on that front and how much is sorting out the calendar taking up your time? Well, I know you spent a lot of time spying on me. I didn't realize your listeners uh, did the same, but you don't I, see had the a, uh, you? <laughs> I, I had a call uh, this morning with Michael Montry from uh, the Penske group that, that manages the uh, Detroit Grand Prix at Belle Isle, the Chevrolet Grand Prix. And we're talking about all kinds of scenarios. The, the, the Le Mans uh, date, as you point out, uh, changing to August does open up some opportunity for us. But 
in this COVID environment, as you know, there's a bunch of dominoes. Um, there's a now a, a WEC race uh, at Puerto Mayo on the Saturday of June 12th, which is the IndyCar weekend. Um, there are uh, other dates, uh, an SRO Americas date that is uh, is currently set for VIR. So there's a lot at play. Uh, there's drivers with commitments around the world, but um, I personally would love to see the uh, Corvettes run at uh, in, in the shadows of the Rensen there in Detroit. I know uh, the, the Corvette Nation and everybody at GM would like that. So um, there's some real positive opportunities here. A lot at play relative to um, having fans on site, and there's so many different factors. So we're working through it. Um, you mentioned Canada. Uh, boy, do I miss uh, Canadian Tire Motorsport Park. Um, Miles, Carlo, Ron Fellows, they've done an amazing job with that facility, and it was painful not to go there in 2020. I, I hope we can. Um, there's some, some quarantine requirements going across the border that make it pretty difficult. So more news to come. We're pretty focused on getting the 69th running of Sebring in on Saturday and all the uh, development series that are with us um, and, and obviously Michelin Pilot Challenge. But next uh, few weeks, you'll probably hear some news about uh, those, those future dates. Two more questions for you, John one looking to the future and one about this weekend. LMDH got a question here from Tigera380, curious about IMSA's involvement in courting new LMDH manufacturers. Do you play a passive role? Do you just wait for the manufacturers to come to you? Is IMSA helping to make board presentations if necessary? Curious about how that dynamic happens. And also wanted to add in a second part to that, which is, Right now, we have three LMDH manufacturers confirmed, Audi, Acura, and Porsche. I, on my informal list of announcements I expect to come in the nearest future, I have as many as seven total manufacturers. I would bet money six to seven will be there for the start of this new formula in 2023. Can you tell us how IMSA plays a role in helping to bring manufacturers in, and also if you share my similar numeric optimism. I sure do, Marshall, and the reason my smile is ear to ear is because I do believe that the future of our sport is very, very bright, uh, both in, as we talked about GT, but definitely in LMDH. It all started with a vision, and that's thanks to Mr. France, uh, Jim, uh, had the vision on DPI, and, and so many people worked hard on that. With, with Cadillac, Acura, Mazda, and, and you know originally Nissan b buying in and investing in that strategy. And the idea of convergence and what we announced in January of 20 brought many more to the table. So kudos to Simon Hodgson, Matt Curdock, Terry Bouvet, and all the partners, because at some point there's been 15 manufacturers at the table with interest, taking notes and and and, and studying the concept of LMDH. So um, while we're not actually going into to board presentations, um, the fact that we put the platform out there, again, the market has been begging for it. Um, that is what attracted them. Nobody's officially left the table. 
uh, so to speak. So I think um, you know your your predictions. Nine times out of ten, you're you're spot on anyway. But I think um, we hope for you know at least fifty percent of those fifteen or so that have been at the table uh, to show up and compete starting in twenty three and maybe uh, a few more after that in the in the uh, following years. Awesome. Last item for you. There's a motor race this weekend. It's 12 yeah. hours and it's all <laughs> awesome. Let's talk about the thing that we had to a degree with the last Sebring that was run shifted to the end of the year due to COVID. This year, not saying it totally wide open green parks going to be filled a million percent and overflowing like it normally is tell us about going into a sebring knowing that you can have fans there that there can be some of that energy i don't know if it's going to be the full accompaniment of 12 people in cow suits walking through the paddock <laughs> or people being baptized by greek gods and whomever walking around but tell me about the energy and anticipation for Sebring feeling more like the real Sebring. Well, I can tell you uh, one of our concerns with having to push the event back to November last year was to turn right around and have another 12 hour of, of Sebring in March in its traditional time slot. But uh, those worries have been thwarted because of the enthusiasm uh, of the fan base and Unfortunately, we're going to have to maintain uh, a closed paddock, which which pains me um, for for all of our fans uh, who are on site. Uh, but it's the right thing to do in this short term, and hopefully, as the season progresses and definitely into 2022, uh, we can open that up. But we 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 need to do the right thing. Uh, we're we're grateful um, that uh, we're allowed to run the event. We're uh, really pleased that all of our participants have bought into the protocol we have for in the paddock. And I can tell you by the, um, the line of motorhomes, so many people have found a way to come to an event, an IMSA event, the 12 hours of Sebring, have a family outing, do it in an open environment um, with their camper, with their uh, scaffolding with their uh, their outdoor couches and do it in a safe manner. And um, I had to uh, run off site for a meeting earlier, and I spent some time in traffic because uh, the motorhome line was was significant. Um, but there's going to be a really nice crowd. Um, hopefully, an amazing audience on NBC on Saturday as well, uh, tuning in at 10 a.m. Eastern. Uh, we got Lee Greenwood. Uh, singing the national anthem and God bless America. And um, a lot of the traditions, uh, uh, as you state, they'll be in full, full display and hopefully we can get back to normal real soon. All right. Be careful on that ladder, putting up the banner. All right. That, that's job number one, John, we get to not only say thank you to you, but we get to uh, throw to some mutual friends, Bob Varsha, how often do you get to throw to the great Bob Varsha in life and how amazing is it to read about the encouraging uh, news on his side coming over, overcoming his health scares and such. But we get to throw to the great John Gorsline as well. Gorsline scholarship, as you know, John and his Gorsline company insured teams, drivers for so many years, really been 
uh, Santa Claus, patron saint, person looking after so many folks in our paddock, but he's also extended racing scholarships to folks. So not just supporting the paddock, also investing into the paddock. Pretty special thing here where we're getting to do this. So get the throw to Bob Varsha of all things. Incredible. Uh, great uh, to see Bob's name on the screen. And uh, John's up in his suite above the, the uh, front straightaway. So um, really appreciate the opportunity. Thanks to EPAR Trade and uh, everybody at Racer. And everyone, uh, please, if you can't be here on site, tune in on Saturday. I think it's going to be an amazing race. 